I'm Elena Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent, and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers, the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power, and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, welcome back to Grandmothers on the Move. It's Ilana. And today I had such a privilege to speak with Nora Morales de Cotinas. And let me tell you a bit about Nora. I agreed with her that I would give you some background about the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, because Nora is one of the original mothers of the Plaza de Mayo in Argentina. Nora Morales de Cotinas was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, one of five sisters at a time when political activity was off limits to girls and women. And today she is affectionately and proudly known to all by her nickname, Norita an important representative of the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, who stands against injustice, joins the struggle for gender justice, objects publicly to the oppressive demands for repayment of loans by the IMF, and a grandmother who sees the connections between privatization, the transgressions of human rights, who lends her voice to those fighting the good fight, workers, LGBTQ rights activists, and Indigenous people's demands for land rights. She has supported independence movements in Kurdistan, where she has made solidarity visits, and understanding the universal connections of women experiencing misogynistic oppression. She traveled in 2018 to Okinawa, Japan, to accompany the so-called comfort women of the Japanese Imperial Army in their quest for justice. Another group of women in their 80s and 90s who remind us of the need to remember our past and continue the demand for reparations in order to ensure that women around the world of all generations refuse to permit similar atrocities to be committed in the name of patriarchy, exploitation, and military dictatorship. And I want you to hear about Nora's personal journey directly from her in a moment, from a traditional wife and mother of two boys, Gustavo and Marcelo, to a life of activism and the vehement defense of human rights and feminism. In 1976 in Argentina, a violent military coup took place in the context of a wave of ultra-right-wing aggression in the region and so-called war on socialism. You'll remember this was in the wake of the era of the Cuban Revolution and the socialist presidency of Salvador Allende in Chile. The Argentinian armed forces and police engaged in a systematic and secretive process of kidnapping and murders of dissidents in the workers and student movements, including the rounding up and murder of intellectuals, artists, journalists, and resistors. Local rights groups have estimated that there were 30,000 victims of torture and murder, amongst them one of Nora's own sons, Gustavo. Gustavo was kidnapped in April 1977 at a local train station on his way to work as an economist at the age of 24, leaving behind his wife, Anna, and his two-year-old son. Nora and her husband, Carlos, immediately went to the police and the church, but to no avail. Carlos had to return to work, and Nora remained at home with the unbearable unknowing of what had happened to her son, until she decided to take to the streets with other women suffering the same agony of loss. 
These courageous and indomitable women took their outrage and grief to the city's main square, the Plaza de Mayo, where they would protest every Thursday at 3.30 p.m., when they were sure to be seen by throngs of people. The mothers of the Plaza de Mayo became internationally recognized for their tenacity and courage, and in so doing, enraged the dictatorship. And still they persisted amidst threats and violence from the regime, even after three of the group's leaders were kidnapped, tortured, and murdered. For five years until the military was forced out in 1983, the mothers continued to protest, many of them, including Nora, never receiving the information and closure they desperately sought to know what had happened to their children, the powerful demand that touched us the world over for truth, memory, and justice. With us today, we have Norita herself and a young man, Jason McNamara, who in 2018 began making a documentary about Nora, her story, her activism, and her critical role as one of the few remaining mothers who has become a stalwart fixture of righteous and principled persistence in the struggle of many movements for freedom, justice, and equality. Jason's passion for Nora's story, his love for her plucky, persistent, and powerful activism is palpable when he speaks of her. The respect and affection that freedom fighters everywhere feel for Nora has become a part of Jason's own story, and he's agreed to translate for Norita today and to tell us a bit about his film about the 90-year-old grandmother revolutionary. Welcome to Grandmothers on the Move, Nora and Jason. It's wonderful to have both of you with us. Muchas gracias por invitarnos. Thank you very much for inviting us to your program. I congratulate you on the prologue, which was very exact about my story and my struggle and my street. So let's keep talking. Lovely. I wanted to make the connection, Nora, in terms of the activism that you have been engaging in that is directly related to the terrible loss that you and so many of the mothers suffered losing their children, and how you have carried on to do other kinds of activism. My case, just like the other mothers, I went out into the streets looking for truth and justice to find Gustavo. That struggle became eventually about the 30,000 disappeared and over time I took up the struggle of my son which had been for social justice for instance fighting for water for food the social struggle of workers supporting social movements over time this filled up my my schedule as an activist at the moment, I'm involved in a campaign against the payment of Argentina's foreign debt. We demand and ask for an audit by the government to determine what the IMF wants to charge us and what we really owe. I'm also involved in a campaign against the exploitation of our natural resources and the destruction of the environment. They're taking the wealth of Argentina, its natural resources. We say no to mining and its contamination and use of our waters. I'm involved in all of these things. I think the fight against the against foreign debt is one of the most important. I'm involved in that alongside Adolfo Perez Esquivel and Beverly Keen in an institution called Dialogue 2000. We've just completed a popular trial which began the start of last year and ended with a declaration against the IMF. Among my activities is the fight alongside women for a law to allow abortion, to avoid women being punished or dying, and especially so that poor women don't die. That's why the law was important. The law that we have now protects women and it gives them the opportunity to defend their body and to say that this is my body and 
I do with it what I want. It took a lot. It took a lot of years of struggle. In December, the law finally passed, allowing abortion in hospitals when a woman chooses to abort. I want to go back in a moment to something that you were saying, Nora, about the beginning of your activism. But can you share with us how your activism connected to all of these other societal issues? You make that connection over the years. Why did that happen for you? When Gustavo was taken, I went out into the streets. And initially, it was about finding him. Over time, as I took to the streets, I realized that I wanted to take his place and take on his struggles and those of the 30,000 disappeared. I wanted to be involved in the fight for social justice. That was my goal on top of finding him. I knew that it was going to be difficult and until this very day the mothers are, were all involved in this fight for social justice which covers what all of the things that they, our children, would want to be involved in in Argentina in 2021. Gustavo was involved in, the, in, in a popular struggle. He was a member of a Peronist organization and later he was a member of the Montoneros. Their focus was the well-being of our people. Their goal was social justice. I know that you said earlier that Gustavo saw things that perhaps you did not in the beginning of the dictatorship. And I wanted to know, you know, what made you decide to take to the streets? You know, for someone who's an activist, that is a logical thing to do when you want to protest and when terrible violations of human rights are happening. But for someone who has not been an activist, it's a courageous act. It's an unusual act to take to the streets. And I wonder if you can tell us what got you there and what was it like that first day when you left the house knowing that you were going out to protest publicly? La salida a la calle. Taking to the streets was spontaneous and visceral. It emerged from within us. Once I was on the streets, I found other women whose children were disappeared. We started gathering in the Plaza de Mayo, and over time we began to talk about our children and reconstruct an idea about what their struggle had been. Then we began receiving invitations from unionists, for example, who unions in which our children had participated in, in some way. Our children were involved in the fight for education, housing, there were teachers, educators, doctors, healthcare workers, and others were involved in the defense of labor, public services, and against poverty and against the abandonment of the state, which was typical in that era. The struggle was very difficult. We learned day by day. It's not that I went out on the street knowing what I was doing. For example, it might involve going out and confronting a politician, a president, a minister. We weren't prepared for that. Our struggle wasn't a party political struggle. It was essentially a political struggle. And that's the way we went out into the streets. That's how we went out demanding and emerging. Some of the mothers were more audacious. Some of the mothers were more willing to confront everything without us paying attention to the danger that we were facing. When Azucena... Maria Ponce de Bianco and Esther Balestrino de Cariaga and three French nuns were taken, we didn't even understand the danger that we were facing. And when you think back on it now, Nora, when you think about who you were then and who you are now, the journey that you've taken, 
How do you feel that you changed through all of this? La, la transformación. When they took Gustavo, uh, it was pure craziness. There was no calculation to to the things that I was doing. There was no danger that would stop us, the mothers. It was purely spontaneous and visceral. But uh, little by little, a transformation happened in me, which was unexpected because I grew up in a chauvinist family. And uh, when I began my involvement in the mother's group, uh, I wasn't aware that, uh, I wasn't conscious, or it wasn't a question of, of us being women, but slowly over time I realized that it was in fact related to our condition as women, and it was in some ways a feminist struggle. Uh, I never imagined that I'd be a fighter with this this degree of force and energy, nor a feminist. But uh, inevitably, the, the transformation happened as I went out on the streets. Thinking about your own transformation, I'm sure that it's something else that you didn't do intentionally, which was to set out to be transformative for others around you. When I told a friend of mine who's from Argentina, my childhood friend, that I was going to be speaking to you today, Nora, uh, she said to me, and I'm quoting, we still hope for and celebrate the miracles of reunions that happen between grandmothers and grandchildren. The pain is intergenerational, and the mothers gave us courage when we thought there was no hope left. Today's struggle, which involves young people, came about over this 44-year period of us being on the streets. Many young people, including many of our grandchildren, hadn't even been born yet. And those who are 40 or 50 years old today, eventually they did begin to understand what the mother's struggle had been. It took a lot. Initially, there was a lot of abandonment. As mothers we of Placer Major, we sacrificed a lot of time with our grandchildren and it was very difficult for them to understand that this was what we had to do. It's not that they got used to the situation, but instead they went out investigating what that grandmother had to do. When the year of state terrorism finished and we had constitutional governments which put an end to the silence that had existed during state terrorism about what had happened, we learned that we had We had more than 500 camps of concentration and torture. In many cases, the families that were affected had a direct connection to families who'd experienced state, ter state terrorism in Europe. Here in Argentina, the stories were told by word of mouth in family conversations. I must say that it wasn't easy in an Argentina that had silenced the horror that had happened here. It wasn't easy for young people to to understand this story. It wasn't easy for them to understand that the mothers had been persecuted, threatened, spied on, followed when we were carrying out our activities, and we wanted to protect the rest of our family. Sometimes that silence actually didn't help us as we tried to give them an idea about what our struggle had been. That's such a painful reflection, Nora, of the relationships and the way that they were compromised during the dictatorship with grandchildren. And I wonder if you can tell me just a bit more how these relationships evolved, where they came to be, where they are now. We grew up alongside our grandchildren. It was very difficult at the beginning, especially with, with the small children. They would see their grandmothers instead of being there to support them and take them out to have an ice cream, those 
rituals that usually happen between grandmothers and their grandchildren. In this case, it didn't happen that way. It happened inside the context of of a struggle and within the limitations of this civic ecclesiastical dictatorship. 20, 30, 40 years later, we're closer than ever to our grandchildren, much more so than than in the context of, of our struggle in the early years. Now the struggle takes place inside the context of a family in a collective way. Many of our grandchildren participate with us in the struggle. It's different. It's not the same as what it was like beforehand. We've been enriched, taking to the streets, growing, being strengthened day by day in this path towards change. We didn't search for that change. It just happened every day, going out looking for solutions, confronting state terrorism, which was sinister and brutal. Even the language you're using, Nora, is so evocative, uh, sinister and brutal. It brings the horror sharply into focus. I'm going to give Nora the last word, but before we do that, uh, Jason, I'm going to move to you now for a moment and ask you about the film that you're making about Nora, her life and her activism. When I listen to Nora, it makes perfect sense to me that you want to make this film. And what I was interested in was, you know, in the process, what have you learned? What has changed for you? For me, working with Nora over the past four years has meant coming into contact with her story, with her politics, and I've had the privilege of being able to spend a lot of time with her uh, alone and also with a camera. And I've learned a lot from Nora. But one thing that I've been telling my friends lately, because we're coming to the to the end of, of this journey, the film will be released sometime this year at a fantastic time, I think, in, in a global sense, to be telling Nora's story and to be revisiting the mothers of Plaza de Mayo's story. One thing I've been telling my friends is how important it has been to know a 90-year-old woman who lives so fully and loves spending time with people and loves sharing and knows how to laugh and cry and is really living her life at 90. And for me, that is a huge lesson and it's been a huge wake-up call for me personally to the extent that today at 32, I'm asking myself... What do I have to do to get to 90 like Nora? What kind of changes and what kind of journey do I have to go on to be a fabulous 90-year-old? So for me, it's really, I've brought it back to the very personal and really celebrating the privilege of having met Nora and gotten to know her and to consider her today as a friend. I'm sure you had a different idea of what this would be about and what it would be like and why it was interesting to do a kind of biopic documentary about Nora and her life and her activism. But where do you land with it now? Well, I think that there was never any other way to make this film than having very clear political goals about what it would lead to once it was finished and released. And I'm a journalist, educated as a journalist and worked briefly as a journalist before I got into documentary filmmaking. So I'm very much about kind of keeping my pulse on what's happening in a local and regional sense, of course, but also in a global sense. So I'm really excited about the film coming out at a time where, you know, with what's just happened in the United States, the fragility of democratic systems is really striking and I think people are starting to pay attention to it and I think Nora's story the story of Argentina 
this dictatorship is a perfect reminder of how quickly we can fall into a spiral and really reach rock bottom. And aside from that, I think in a political sense, I've always thought that it is such an opportunity to be able to touch on these subjects, but through the lens and experience of a woman who in many ways wasn't destined to be at the forefront of political change in her country. There's I think a resonance in Nora's identity as an everyday person, an everyday woman, which is also very relevant today, but as an everyday person who, by circumstance, went out into the streets and confronted the very worst of our societies as a means of telling audiences, you know, you can do that as well. There's nothing stopping you from having a politicized life. And I think that is really powerful. And that's something that I think only Nora, being one of the last mothers of Plaza de Mayo, can do. And so that's why, you know, it's a biopic. That's why it's really about Nora's personal journey through this political life, this politicized life. It really has been a journey. And I guess that's my last question for you, Nora. It's about the passage of time, which has been a theme that's run through this conversation. What is it like doing this work, engaging in this activism, and making sure that we remember our history as we tackle the present? What is it like to be doing this work as an older woman, as a grandmother? I wasn't aware of the passing of time or that history was taking place in front of my eyes. I had no prior experience. I learned day by day on the streets. My story was told on the streets without having gone out looking for it. It was just a product of the circumstances. The mothers we were persecuted, spied on, we were taken to police stations, imprisoned, imprisoned for protesting. All of this was totally unexpected. It just happened and we learned. We didn't want to learn about these things, but it did set us on a path with no return. No mother can go back to being what she used to be. Some mothers have died recently, some mothers who fought until the very end and who had their own type of bravery. Every day I think of this more and more. Every mother should have had her biographer to tell her story because every mother had her own story despite the circumstances being the same. The struggle was the same. Each mother could do it according to her spirit, her time. Many of them raised their grandchildren who were left without parents and being kidnapped. Many mothers went from being grandmothers to mothers of these children. These stories of thousands of women are varied. Each testimony is valuable. Being able to speak to their grandmothers, these young people can not only hear about their story, but also feel it. It reminds us of when we spoke with our grandmothers who'd lived through the World War or through the Spanish Civil War. Some of these stories are Sometimes these stories aren't told well because the sort of pain. I remember my parents who lived through part of the Spanish Civil War, who'd lost friends, who struggled to sit down and tell us about these stories. I'm very happy to be telling my story to this young woman in Canada, knowing that could be the story of any one of the mothers. Many mothers are very old and they're not in, condi in the right condition to be able to tell their own story. In this case, just like with Jason's film, I'm very proud to be able to be telling my story, which won't be deformed or disfigured since I'm telling it myself. Every testimony by a mother, a father, a sibling is a historic truth. Historians might tell the story, but the voice of 
of a family member can't be can't be disfigured. Oh, that's magnificent. And I cannot thank you enough, Nora, for lending us your voice today and sharing both the painful reflections of the past, but also the dynamism of your engagement today. So thank you so, so much, Nora. And I know that all of us support you. And also to say to you at the end of this conversation, that you may not be aware of the reach that you have beyond your context in Argentina, but there are many of us around the world who take great courage and inspiration from your continued insistence that the world do what is right and that whether it's anti-mining or whether it's the IMF or whether it's women's rights, that we can count on you to be there and that your legacy continues both through you and with us. She says, thank you very much. And she's very honored that you take an interest in her story among the thousands of stories that are similar to hers. Thanks for listening. I'm Ilana Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to grandmothersonthemove.com and come back next week for another episode.